Last week, the talk really was one, on one of the most essential components of meditation, which is the training of how to wake up out of the storyline, what we're telling ourselves and come into what's under the story, into our embodied experience. And I'd like to, tonight, continue in this vein uh, and explore how awareness of our body really is a gateway If we can be awake in our body, it's a gateway to loving fully, to living our life fully, and in the deepest way to realizing who we are. So in in the Buddhist teachings, often there's a sequence, and it begins with uh, the suffering, how we get caught in suffering, and then showing how we can wake up from it. So I'd like to start with the suffering of not being in our bodies. And, and use that traditional uh, kind of format. Are you in your body right now? Just check, take a moment. Okay, so this is D.H. Uh, Lawrence. He says, uh, th- and this is from Lady Chatterley's Lover. Let us prepare now for the death of our present little life and the re-emergence in a bigger life, in touch with the moving cosmos. For the truth is, we are perishing for lack of fulfillment of our greater needs. We are cut off from the great sources of our inward nourishment and renewal, sources which flow eternally in the universe. Vitally, the human race is dying. It is like a great uprooted tree with its roots in the air. We must plant ourselves again in the universe. Vitally, the human race is dying. It's like a great uprooted tree with its roots in the air. We must plant ourselves again in the universe. So that image of a great uprooted tree is really our being when we have uprooted ourselves, when we're not in the ground of our own body, when we're not planted in this earth and in awareness, when we're uprooted. And the inquiry really is, in any moment, how am I uprooting myself? How am I separating myself from presence or from love or from this moment's experience right here? one of the ways we begin to investigate is just to look in a broader way at really what causes us to uproot, to separate. How does that happen? Because it doesn't, we don't start out uprooted. I mean, when we're in the womb, we're in the great maternal surround, we're part of the universe, and and even though there's separation, when there's birthing, we're still, there's still a sense of being part of things. And then gradually, and this is part of our, it's in our DNA to do this, we separate out. We get more and more separate feeling. You know, we separate from our body and become kind of a mental identity that has a body. As I think some children were asked at one point what the purpose of the body was, and their answer was to carry around the head, you know. <laughs> So we separate out and we identify with the, with the mind and we identify with our roles and our personality and we get really kind of, there's kind of a cut off from the body. And of course, depending on the culture we're in, it can be more or less extreme. Um, our culture is not 
really that attuned to nature and there's not that much connection with tribe or family or whatever it can, it's very individualistic somebody last year sent me this a man was driving home from work and it had been a tough day so his wife called him on the cell phone and she's distraught and she's heard on the radio that someone's on 495 driving the wrong way heck Emma, he replies there's hundreds of them doing that <laughs> So we get kind of identified with me, what I'm doing, I'm right. And it's a little scary in this culture because the more we're online and electronically hooked in, the less we're established in that presence in our body, in our heart, on the earth. And, and our, our children, this generation, is very much that way. I mean, it's amazing what the, the digital mind does. And, and there really is very much a sense of, there can be an estrangement. There was uh, somebody sent me this story of a three-year-old who goes home, he goes with his dad to see a litter of kittens and on returning home he breathlessly informs his mother that there were two boy kittens and two girl kittens. How did you know, his mother asked. Well, daddy picked them up and looked underneath. He replied, I think it's printed on the bottom, you know. <laughs> so, our culture, you know, it's, there's a worshipping of the mind, we know that, that's part of the separating off. And although we're very, very fixated on the looks of the body, there's not that much attention from the inside out to experiencing our body. Somebody described, there was, Gucci recently had an ad portraying an attractive woman in a leotard sitting on a black yoga mat that was floating in the air high over New York City. The mat was a Gucci yoga mat and it was retailing at $850. Another ad shows a beautiful female model leaning forward in cross-legged pose, her eyes serenely closed. The caption reads, It's a day to clear your mind, a day to free your soul, a day to open up to your aliveness, and a day for hormal, always tender, honey, mustard, pork, loin fillets. <laughs> so just, that's just a little on our culture. So it's exacerbated, this cutting off from the body, this worshipping of the mind and of appearance, and this kind of individualism, it's, it's really in our culture. But as most of us know, we dissociate, we separate off from our body and our aliveness uh, mostly, it gets most exacerbated when in our um, families, in our, with our significant caregivers there's a lot of wounding because what happens when there's emotional trauma is it lives in our bodies and the body is too dangerous a place to hang out in it's too uncomfortable, it's too unpleasant so the more wounding there is, the more, and this is, it just makes total sense, the more conditioning there is to bring our attention out of our body and to obsessive thinking or the behaviors that help us get more comfortable. That makes sense? When there's wounding, emotional wounding, there's kind of a leaving of the body. And then in order to do that, there has to be an armoring created. Now there was there has to be a tensing in the body to kind of protect against the vulnerable places. So our body gets tension around the shoulders and across the chest and the belly, a big lot of tension around the belly. 
And what happens is it becomes so familiar that we aren't aware that we're a bundle of knots protecting against the vulnerable places. We're not aware of the armoring. Then there's the emotional armoring to protect us from feeling which is getting numb and it takes and it and expresses as maybe anxiety or depression, but that protects us from actually the rawness of the emotion. Emily Dickinson says, There's a pain so utter it swallows substance up, then covers the abyss with trance, so memory can step around it, not upon it a pain so utter it swallows substance up, then covers the abyss with trance. So what I'm talking about tonight really is that when we leave our body, when we've been hurt and we leave our body, we go into trance. We're in a trance. Our sense of identity is no longer part of this whole living beingness. We're uprooted. Our roots are in the air and we're identified with that armoring that's trying to keep ourselves safe. One of the main ways we armor to keep ourselves from in our body is the compulsive thinking. And so many of us know the force of that. So many of us, when we're honest, know that we've spent the day kind of um, batting around in our mind between what we need to get done and what we're afraid is not going to happen and how this person reacts to us and what's wrong with that. We know it. And it's our way of not sitting down into the rawness and the intensity and the, sometimes the unfamiliarity of this living experience right here. So the suffering the suffering of cutting off from our aliveness, of our having our roots in the air. And this is something that many of us have intuited, is that there's a chronic sense that something's missing, that we're not there yet, that we're not complete or something's not quite right in our lives. Okay? When, when the roots are in the air, when we're not rooted in the moment, when we're not rooted in our aliveness, there's a sense that something's missing, there's an incompleteness. And there's then a kind of restlessness that then kind of gloms on to other things to root to because we're not rooted in this aliveness. So we fix on another person to make us whole, or on the achievements or performing that will make us whole, or on the substances that make us complete. Does this make sense? that when our roots in the air, when we're not connected, we have to attach to things out there. Two goldfish are swimming in the ocean. One says to the other, So, what is it your heart really desires? Response, Oh, I'd love to have the fishbowl, the colored gravel, the plastic plants, the little castle, you know, the whole deal. Right? that's what it's like. It's like this aliveness is here. Love is here. Presence is here. But when the habit is to cut off, we feel like something's missing and we have to get somewhere. And that's the mental frame. It's as if we're on this timeline on our way somewhere else. And that maybe down the road 
the next moment will contain what this moment does not. The other element that's very obvious when we're not rooted, when our roots are in the air, is a profound sense that something's actually wrong. Being separate equals something is wrong. So there's a hauntedness when we're not connecting with what's here, including the painful and raw stuff, it haunts us. We know we're avoiding something, so we have to keep on defending and protecting. And most people describe feeling tired. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy to disconnect and maintain a disconnection, to keep running away from the life that's here. It's tiring. Carl Jung wrote uh, this, and this is something that's had a big effect on my own understanding. He said, nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their environment and especially on their children than the unlived life of the parents. I'm going to say it again. Nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their environment and especially on their children than the unlived life of the parents. When we uproot, when we leave our bodies, we're leaving the life that's here. Especially when there's been wounding or hurt, if there's not an ability to be with the fear, the way it lives in the body, or the hurt, or the grief, or the loneliness, if we can't be with that, it's unlived life. It's only by being with that energy that's still held in the body that we actually come back home to our wholeness. We need to plant ourselves in the universe, including this life right here. The consequences too, as Carl Jung describes, the unlived life, when we don't tap into it, we feel separate, something's missing, something's wrong. It affects those that we're with because we can't be in real intimate relationship. And when, as a culture, as a society, we don't face our fears, when there's unlived life, it wreaks havoc on the world. I'll share with you um, something I read recently. The book that I'm reading, it starts with a story of an Austrian woman 1903. Her name's Clara. And she's made pregnant by her uncle, and then she ends up having to marry him. And all her children die uh, right after birth. And she is, lives in fear of her husband, and she, her way of trying to deal with things is she keeps her house ridiculously clean, but child after child dies. The fourth child doesn't die. He's sickly, but he doesn't die. So she nurses him for two years and she's an obsessive nurser. In other words, she struggles to get away from the nipple and she jams it in his face. She's she's just trying to keep him alive and this is the only way she knows how. And he ends up growing up to be fearful like she, fearful of dirt, fearful of germs, of microbes. He becomes a vegetarian because he's afraid of food. She dies of of breast cancer and he's afraid of his own blood that they're going to be like hers and have cancer in it. 
he's afraid his blood is bad and tainted because of the incest in his life that he's going to have defects and feeble-mindedness he's afraid of gossip about his incestuous family never has children because he's afraid of what will happen to them mostly he's terrified of the cancer that took his mother's life he's horrified that he had suckled at diseased breasts he's afraid of moonlight and horses of snow, of water, of the dark of judges, of Americans, of old men, of poets so how does one live with that much fear? well for this man he couldn't live that that was unlived life and instead the way he didn't live with it is he seized on one all-encompassing explanation for the existence of sin and disease and all his failures it wasn't the weakness in his parents or his blood or his mind he was faultless others were filth he could not change his china blue eyes but he could change the world they saw he would identify the secret source of every evil and root it out he would free Europe of pollution and defilement and only health and purity would remain and then the author writes are such grim and comic facts significant or merely interesting here's another the doctor who could not cure Clara Hitler's cancer was Jewish Uh, the author is Mary Russell this is from A Thread of Grace there is the deep suffering of trance when we don't face and live the unlived life when there's fear in our body and we don't open to it it turns into either blaming others or blaming ourselves when there's grief that we don't open to it can become depression this is the suffering of trance the suffering of cutting off from aliveness and the training that the Buddha offers us the first foundation of mindfulness of that training is reconnect with this fathom-long body right here now it's the most central and vital training that we could possibly be given to learn to come back to plant ourselves in the universe by this moment coming right here to this body take a moment because you're listening to words and having different thoughts or feelings but can can you come back right now if you feel like you've even left and just notice how easy it is to leave our bodies and what does it mean to come back can you feel your hands maybe soften them feel them from the inside and the feet and this field of sensation that's here and notice that any mood or emotion that's going on it's made up of sensations that if you're caught in a in the suffering of an emotion the only way home to wake up is to open to the sensations that are right here the unlived life so I wanna, I'm going to share with you an example of how one woman worked with unlived life um, it's a woman who came to a retreat some years ago down at Seven Oaks where we 
have a lot of our retreats and sociology professor who was in the published parish kind of mode and uh, very driven but also she came in for an interview and she told me that if she wasn't anxious and depressed she felt numb and all the instructions about come into the body, feel the aliveness of the body, open to your emotion. She said she'd sit with, in a group and hear people talk about how they were opening to, to grief or to this or that, and she said, I'm just completely cut off. So she was very frustrated. So we began to practice with RAIN, which is recognizing and allowing what's happening, investigating it. These are the, the, the uh, acronym, recognize, allow, investigate, be intimate with that's the other part of the I. And then the N is coming back home to this, to this universe of our experience, our natural awareness. So we practiced a little with it and she felt a little bit of what was going on in her body and I had her, I sometimes do this with people, I had her put her hand there to keep her attention where she was feeling things. And I actually invited her to breathe in and out of the place to come back and plant herself right here in the body. And she did it, but she cut off again. She, was, she got numb again. So that was her, her practice, was to, to just notice whatever came up, even numbness, and feel, how does this feel in your body? Anything that comes up can be a gateway back to the unlived life. Nothing's better. So numbness and restlessness are as good as anything else. I said, whatever comes up, just be aware of how it is in your body, breathe with it, feel it. So she came back a handful of days later and she was, um, you know, she had a lot to share. She had been sitting in a meditation and she was beginning to get in touch with her body a little more than she had and she had this memory come up. And I had told a story the night before that I think helped connect her with her memory. But, and in the, in the memory um, she was maybe nine or ten and her mother, who was a single mom, was forcing her to have her hair cut. And, she had, had, she had this really flowing, long, blonde hair and she used to dress up and put all these scarves on and dance around and feel really alive and beautiful. And it was like, with, she was profoundly distressed at the idea of getting her hair cut and she pleaded and begged and her mother wouldn't hear any of it. She just dragged her to the beauty parlor and even the beautician kind of laughed and said, oh, you'll be cooler in the summertime or whatever that day of getting her hair cut, she said, part of her stopped living. There was something in her that, that despaired, that nobody listened, nobody cared, her feelings didn't matter, why be alive? And she was really upset at that memory, so she went outside, because uh, she couldn't stay in the meditation hall, she was so distressed. And she got drawn to one of these, we, at Seven Oaks, there's, I think, five oaks <laughs> there, but there's these big oak trees. <laughs> a couple of them died, but they have, like, new oaks growing up in the middle of them, so it's kind of, it works. Um, she went to one of those big oaks, right, uh, kind of on the bo- near the border of the property, and um, she knew she had to get in touch with what was inside her, and the oak was so alive. I mean, the, it was swaying, and the, the branches were swaying, and the breeze, and that huge trunk so deeply rooted in the earth. So she went to that oak and kind of leaned against it, and, 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 just began, and just began to do rain, recognizing and allowing, and sensing what was inside her. And what she got in touch with in her body um, was this feeling of dread that she was going to die like her mother had without having lived. 
and she felt it in her body like tearing and, and ripping at her heart very, very feeling it in her body and in that ripped up heart place of dread got filled with anger she was enraged at her mother and she started speaking out loud you know, I hate you, I hate you I hate you for making me cut my hair why, how could you, how could you how, you know, just really letting it out until she could cry and feel the grief of never having had a mother that cared so this was very, this was living the unlived life, okay? She was staying right there with her body and with her feelings, letting it move through her, not protecting herself from it. And she described to me that, that she was kind of hugging herself and feeling the tree's presence hugging her, and she said that as she settled down she had never felt so alive in as long as she could remember. This is planting ourselves again in the universe. Whether it's when there's a big emotional disruption staying and feeling what's here, or in any moment stopping and saying, now, this moment counts. Let me feel the life in this moment. Because if we're always on our way through the day trying to get to the end or get things done, then our habit is not going to be to feel the aliveness that's here. And we're going to be in a trance that habitually steps around what's here. And that unlived life will play itself out indirectly in ways that keep us from intimacy with ourselves and with each other. Rilke writes, How could we forget those ancient myths that stand at the beginning of all races, the myths about dragons that at the last moment are transformed into princesses. Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are only princesses waiting for us to act just once with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is, in its deepest essence, something helpless that wants our love. If you sense the unlived life in you as energy that's scared, that's torqued in some way, that's pushed under, and you could ask that energy, what do you want from me? It would want our loving attention. It would want us to plant our attention right back here inside our body and our own heart. It would not want us to race around chasing after the next thing to consume or the next way to prove ourselves, or the next thing to get done. The dragons, the unlived life inside us wants our attention. So I'm emphasizing as individuals that the Buddha taught this first foundation of coming back again and again to the awareness of this body. That's the only way we can open to the unlived life. But I've also described the havoc and suffering of when, as cultures and societies, we don't face our fears and instead we're just in reactivity of violence or greed. I was um, up in New York um, some months ago with Jack Cornfield and he was telling me about, he does these uh, workshops for young men from LA these, these that are in gangs and there's a huge amount of suffering and, 
and sharing and healing and one guy was describing a drive-by shooting where his friend got injured and he ran for cover and he returned but, and his friend lived but the, the enormous guilt of having fled and others were saying, I've seen more than I can tell horrors of violence, of killing well, Jack teaches these, uh, these workshops with a, a healer and a storyteller, Maladoma Soma and at one of these, Maladoma told an Irish folk tale and I want to share just the skeleton of it with you because I think it has everything to do with um, planting ourselves again in the universe in this Irish folktale, one of the god heroes had vanquished many, many enemies but the energy of Mars took over him so when this god hero came back to his own village he was filled with this destructive energy in other words, he was uprooted his roots were in the air he was just aggression, aggression, aggression <coughs> So the wise person in the town advised the rest of the town as to what they could do to help with this aggressive energy that was playing out through this, this guy. And first he said, as he comes home into this village, as he comes down the road to the town, we have to have all the women from the town lined in the street showing their breasts. And the idea was, it's erotic, but it's also mother's milk and reconnects with the feminine. In other words, it's the beginning of planting ourselves back in the universe with the feminine then this uh, wise person said we have to put him in ice water just kind of wake him back up into his body and then finally surround him and tell him stories of returning from war of planting crops for abundant times of sitting around fires and sharing lives of dancing, of quiet in the woods stories of transition, stories of re-entry stories of coming back down and becoming part of this earth and this life to me this is what each of us needs on some level when we have left home we need the reminders that invite us back to slow down because one of the ways that we uproot ourselves is speeding if you ask yourself, how am I leaving this moment? How am I leaving my heart? You'll notice that one of the ways you're leaving is that you're speeding, you're racing. If you ask yourself, how am I leaving? You're lost in stories, you're not planting in the earth. You're not smelling the breeze. You're not listening to the sounds around you that each of us needs this kind of simplicity we're a very complex, busy society and that reinforces the ways we leave so if we want to have a committed presence if we want to explore and open to the unlived life it takes a real sincerity about slowing down it takes a sincerity about stopping it takes a sincerity about being willing to check in and feel what is here in this moment so let me just ask you to do that for this moment just to, to check in again and just sense, is there anything in this moment between you 
and feeling planted in this universe. And maybe there was just a bit of distractedness. And just by having the intention in this moment to let this moment count, Notice what happens when you relax and just receive the sensations of this body and awareness. This is about reconnecting with the life of the body and with life itself because there's no difference if you can come home to the aliveness inside you you can connect with the aliveness in others and with this living world let me read you a poem Uh, this is Mary Oliver last night in the fields I lay down in the darkness to think about death but instead I fell asleep as if in a vast and sloping room filled with those white flowers that open all summer, sticky and untidy in the warm fields. When I woke, the morning light was just slipping in front of the stars and I was covered with blossoms. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if my body went diving down under the sugary vines in some sleep-sharpened affinity with the depths, or whether that green energy rose like a wave and curled over me, claiming me in its husky arms. Never in my life had I felt so plush or so slippery or so resplendently empty. Never in my life had I felt myself so near that porous line where my own body was done with and the roots and the stems and the flowers began. So we're talking tonight about embracing the unlived life and in that process opening to the the pure aliveness that's here. And I wanted to give you kind of an update on the story I told you about this woman at retreat because several years after the retreat um, she was in Washington for a conference and asked for a meeting with me. And I barely recognized the woman who came to my door, this woman with this really long flowing blonde hair, because initially she had very, very short hair when she came to retreat. And first thing she did was joke around um, boycotting hairdressers. But she, she had continued to practice rain and she'd on her own just kind of invoke the oak tree and sense herself with that aliveness and then just open to the aliveness inside her and bring an intimate presence to it. And sometimes there would be vulnerability of that. It's not like it all goes away, the, the young one that felt that she wasn't taken care of or cared about. But she said she also would bring her mother under the oak tree. And she would open to her mother's unlived life. She'd sense the loneliness and the hurt and the passion that her mother hadn't been able to include and just that she had died without living. And she just would include that. And it allowed her to sense how vast her heart was 
that she had space. When she planted herself in the universe, she could fit the universe in her heart. She said that when I'm present, there really is no difference between the living spirit of the oak and me. So I share this because this is a flavor of the gift of when we plant ourselves in the universe, when we come home to this aliveness, that it stops being my aliveness. And what we're doing is reconnecting with really the uh, whole web of this living world. It's really what allows us to be in love with life. I don't think we know what it means to really be in love with life when it's very hitched to the particulars. It doesn't mean we don't love, we experience the particulars and love a person and it awakens us to loving itself. But it's really that inclusiveness that is what I call the empty awake heart that's really free to include this world. And this is what this woman had touched into. By opening to aliveness, we open to the mystery of presence itself. And that's the way I want to close with the final meditation, but just to say that there really is no difference between aliveness and presence. When you absolutely open yourself to the vibrational living field in this body, you discover the space of presence. And when you're very, very present, like if you just say, now, right now, what happens? If you just close your eyes and now, here, what's happening? In that presence of right now, the very exact nowness right here, it's absolutely suffused with aliveness. Presence is filled with aliveness and the experience of aliveness reveals the space of presence. We begin, as the Buddha taught, by paying attention to the aliveness right here in this, in this body. Here's how Eckhart Tolle puts it. He says, what I call the inner body isn't really the body anymore, but life energy the bridge between form and formlessness. When you are in touch with this energy, and you can feel it right now, when you're in touch with this energy, you're not identified with your body anymore, nor your mind. You're no longer identified with form, but moving away from form identity to formlessness, which may also be called being. So this pathway we're exploring tonight of opening to the unlived life is really opening to our being, to the purity of our being. So we'll close just with a a simple way of continuing to meditate. If you'd like to sit in a way that's comfortable, this will only be a short few moments. letting yourself arrive in a pause. So this is really the invitation to intentionally be right here. And you might mentally whisper here, 
are now. And sense the life that's right here. You might listen a little. Listening not just with your ears, but with your whole awareness. Letting the sounds wash through. Listening to and feeling the moment. Feel this whole dance of sensations that's playing through you. Relaxing with that. Sound, sensation. If you can sense this foreground of phenomena, this aliveness, totally letting it play itself. You can also sense the background, the presence that's aware of it all. The space it's all happening in, this awake mystery of awareness. can let this aliveness that's here be a doorway into inner space, into this awake presence. Sensing this awareness as your home, as your deepest essence, and the great blessing of being able to celebrate this life when you know who you are. We close with a prayer that we remember to plant ourselves right in this presence, in this body, in this heart, moment after moment, and that our lives might be an expression of this loving presence, and that all beings everywhere may realize their nature as love, as presence. May all beings everywhere touch great and natural peace May all beings everywhere awaken and be free. Namaste.
the teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.